Amen. How many know that uh, we are... Well, how many know that 2,000 years ago that Jesus won the war, right? How many know that on the cross, um, it was a finished work, right? Uh, sin has been conquered. Death has been conquered. The enemy's been stripped of all power. And uh, the enemy actually doesn't have any more power any, any longer. He's been stripped of all power. He does have the ability to lie. That's it. But so we're living in a 2,000-year-old victory, right? And so, but how many know that there's still a war to try to keep people from realizing that victory and enjoying that victory in their lives? You know, just like, you know, just a snapshot in my testimony, I was drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, lying, cheating, awful, horrible human being. And um, I, um, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for my sins. And God loved me when I was damning his name, when I was trying to talk Christians out of being Christians. And, you know, I was so bad. I mean, I had two classes in, in my senior year in high school. They wouldn't even allow me into those classes because I made the teacher cry so many times. Yeah, I know I have a halo on tonight, but it wasn't always there. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, I was actively antagonistic towards Christians and toward believers. I was a very outspoken atheist. <clears throat> but God, somebody's calling me. It's the Lord. He says he loves you. No, <laughs> it's okay to laugh at church. I'm going to enjoy the Lord's your strength. Amen. We can laugh and have fun, right? Um, but, but the, the, the work of the cross was finished, but how I many I wasn't saved until I received Jesus as Lord and Savior? And so, like, it's a 2,000-year-old victory, but how I many know we're looking to bring as many people into that victory as we can? You know, my sister was talking about that earlier. We're talking about, you know, if you've not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, get saved. You know, and it's the easiest thing in the world. People act like it's really hard. It's not. All you do is believe. Amen. Confess with your mouth that he's the son of God and he died for your sins and he was raised again from the dead. Amen. And you can get saved right now. And so the victory is 2,000 years old, but we want to bring as many people into that victory as we can, which is why we share the gospel and why we declare the good news, right? And so there, even though the war was won 2,000 years ago and Jesus defeated the enemy, how many know that there is still a battle that's going on, right? There is still a, an enemy and um, he hates you and uh, because you're created in the image of God. And he's looking to try to steal as much as he can from you. How many of the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy? And, and so if you see death, destruction, um, or thievery, God's not the author of that. The enemy's the author of that. And, uh, you know, you, you want to see what, what God looks like, take a look at Jesus. Amen? How many of in the old covenant, they didn't have a clear picture of who God was? They had a shadow. You know, if, you, if I hold my hand up and I place it, uh, my shadow's against this stage right there. there. There's the shadow. How many of you can look at that shadow and, and notice a couple things about me? You can notice that I have a man bun. <laughs> you can notice, you know, vaguely that I'm a humanoid figure. But how many know that that shadow can only tell you so much, right? How many know under the old covenant that the Jews didn't, didn't even have the confidence to say the name of God? I mean, you know, if you can't say somebody's name, it's going to be very difficult to have a relationship with them. 
And so the Old Testament, as beautiful and as powerful as it is, it did not truly reveal who God was because the law and the prophets did not have the ability to do that. That honor was not reserved for the law and the prophets. That honor was reserved for the Son of God. And then when the Son of God hit the scene, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. I mean, well, Jesus didn't go around stealing, killing, or hurting anyone. He went around saving, setting people free, doing good and making glad and destroying the works of the enemy. Amen? This is an area where the enemy's wrought tremendous deception. The primary thing the enemy's trying to trick you into believing is that God is not good. That he is not good all the way around. And, uh, and that's why in the book of James it says don't be deceived in this area, um, but God, God is light in whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. What does that mean? Everywhere you turn, God, he's good. How I many of oh, God doesn't have cancer in heaven? How I many of oh, God doesn't have sickness and disease in heaven? God doesn't have storms in heaven. Why? Because that's not a part of his nature. God is not one that sends destruction. And, and, and for some people in here, this may be revelation to you. You may be thinking, man, I've, you know, I've, I don't, I've never heard that before. But I want to encourage you that the primary deception of the enemy, even in the beginning, was to sow into the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve that God wasn't good. So God knows that the day you eat thereof, you're, not, you're going to be just like him. What is that? That's sowing a small seed of doubt that God isn't good and he's holding something back from them. How I many of oh, God didn't hold anything back from them? How I many of oh, God's not holding anything back from you today? And so when Jesus came, he said, this is what God looks like. And he went around loving people, helping people, setting people free. And amen. How I many are still doing the very same thing today? Amen. So God loves you, and good things come from God. Amen. God's not bringing anything bad into anybody's life ever. And that's why we pray. And that's why Jesus encouraged us to pray. He said, pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. What does that mean? That means that God's will is happening perfectly in heaven. I mean, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no COVID. There's no cancer. There's no unpaid bills. There's no depression. There's no addiction. Things are smooth in heaven. They have their priorities straight. They don't seek after money. They walk on streets of gold. Because people are more valuable than things. Amen. And so, um, and so Jesus said, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason he said pray is because God's will is not always being done on earth. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? I'm saying this. How many of y'all have been through some hell in your life? Been through some hell, man. Take a look at my childhood. Take, probably take a look at your childhood, things that happened to you. I'm telling you right now, those things were not God's will. God never intended you to be hurt. God never intended you to be abused or rejected or addicted or any of those things. Those strongholds that were built into you as a result of your childhood and as a result of this world getting a hold of you, that was never God's plan for your life. Never God's will. Now, God will take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. I mean, you know, tonight we've talked about my past. Why? Because it's a testimony. Because whatever you've been through, you don't have to stay there because God will set you free from it. And then cause you to be a trophy so that other people can say, well, if he did it for them, they can do it for me. Can I get an amen? So God will take what the enemy meant for evil and he will turn it for good. But God is not the author of pain in your life. So everything that happens on this planet is not God's will. And that's why Jesus said pray. Right? Because, I mean, this is a fallen world. 
This world's messed up. It's a messed up place. It's a hard world for the believer and the unbeliever. Why? Because the ship's on fire. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this sucker's going down. Right? How many of this, this, we got a new world that's coming. We got a new heavens and a new earth. We got a day and time when death will bow its knee to Jesus Christ. And you will never see death again as long as you live. How many of death is alien to you? How many of death feels wrong? Now, now, you know, we get used to it because of where we live in, but I got a four-year-old little boy, and we got this uh, cookie place that we go to, and because um, cookies are good, can I get an amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus loves me to eat some cookies. Amen. <laughs> Probably got some cookies in my basket. Let me see. Oh, I know. I can feel it, man. Godiva chocolate. That's it. Let's go. Hallelujah. You know me so well. Thank you. God loves chocolate. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But on the way to that place, there was a dead bird. And my four-year-old son hated seeing that dead bird. And so much so that he didn't want to go there anymore. Because he, he said, Dad, is that bird still there? I'd be like, no, 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 sweetheart, it's gone now. But why? Because his young beautiful, untainted heart knew there was something wrong with that. But why? Because, how I many you know God's not the author of death? God is the author of life. Death is the enemy of God. Death is not a friend of God. God didn't create death. How I many you know God is going to force death to bow its knee? How I many you know the cross and the resurrection forced death to bow its knee to a man? He conquered it. How I many you know he's still alive? in a human body, seated on the right hand of God. And how many know we've been invited into that same victory? And how many know the day and time will come when you don't die? And nothing around you dies, and there will be no more death. How many know that's God's plan for this life? Everybody say eternal life. And we're enjoying eternal life right now. How many know sickness is a form of death? How many know aging is a form of death? I mean, when you get to heaven, people ain't going to be old. I mean, oh, God's not old. He's not. He's young. Why? Because young is of life. Amen? And, and how many old lack is of death? Poverty's of death. All these things don't feel right to us. Why? Because we didn't come from death. We came from life. And as the Lord reveals himself to us, we're going to cause all these enemies to be put down before him as his footstool and the last enemy that bows will be death and we will live forever in eternal life and God's will will be perfectly done and there will be no more death no more death on the way to the cookie shop no more dead birds amen you know and then we gonna pray the calories out of them cookies you know what I'm saying I'm sit down in the marriage supper of the lamb and say God I want to eat 30 cookies go ahead son you're no longer under the curse you have everlasting life amen <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Carb, carbs need to be redeemed. Carbs aren't bad. They taste good. They make me happy. When I eat carbs, I'm happy. When I don't eat carbs, I'm grumpy. Anybody bear witness with that? I mean, it's not real spiritual, but it's like, dang, give me a carb. If I don't eat carbs, yeah, I may get, I may lose weight, but I lose happiness too, you know? Like, I'm miserable and fit, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, like, give me a carb, hallelujah. Anyway, we're getting, we getting, we getting off. <laughs> we're not, we're right on. 
Amen. Thank you, Lord. But God's will is not always done because God's will is not death and destruction. So don't blame God for any pain that you've went through, any death that you've seen. Because I'm here to tell you right now, it's going to bow its knee. And I feel like there's some people in here tonight that may have had a loved one pass on. We're currently having a loved one pass on. And God wants to encourage you that that separation is not final. It's just for a moment. And there'll be a reunion. And you will, bo- you will, you will both enjoy everlasting life. You will all enjoy everlasting life. And there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more poverty, no more lack, no more depression. Joy, 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 joy. We won't even need the light of the sun because God himself will be our light. Take a walk through Revelations. Not the scary stuff, the cool, the fun stuff. There's some stuff in there that's amazing. Like, you know, the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no more night. You know, it's just some awesome promises. And how many know that all of those promises create within us a sense of hope? Because at the end of the day, this life is, it's a pilgrimage. We're walking through this thing. But the next life is our ultimate place of residency. Amen? And so when, when things are difficult and things are hard, there is an element of the hope of heaven that purifies your soul and gives you the strength to endure any temporary trial. Because you know whatever you're going through down here is not eternal. There are, every battle has an expiration date. Every battle has an expiration date. Amen? And so, so allow that hope to purify your heart and encourage you in the days when you are walking through the valley. Because you're not called to live in the valley. Come on now. You are not called to live in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to set up camp in the valley, live in the valley, change your zip code to the valley, change your mailing address to the valley, talk about the valley, talk about the valley, talk about the valley, and, and, and have the pity party in the valley, and live there. There's no place in Scripture where the valley is your residency. It's not. And when you're going, but, but you will go through valleys. You will go through times when you don't feel like God loves you. You don't feel called. You don't feel anointed. You don't feel gifted. And you have moments where you've forgotten why you started all of this. And have moments where your emotions are crazy and your thoughts are crazy. But it's the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many know tonight, eventually, night will fall in Chicago? But how many know the sun has not stopped, stopped shining? And there will be a morning. And there will be a rising of the sun. Just because darkness comes does not mean the sun has stopped shining. The sun does not stop shining. There are going to be times when you don't feel the love of God. When you don't feel these things, you're having a moment of valley. But don't set up camp in the valley. You've got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you've got to walk out of the valley. 
What causes you to walk out of the valley? Hope. Hope. What's hope say? Hope is an expectation of good. Hope gives you a dream, gives you a future, gives you a vision. I mean, when someone's in a place of hopelessness, they can't see any change. They can't see their tomorrow being any different. And the enemy's always in their ears saying, your best days are behind you. It used to be good. It used to be fun. It's never going to be like that again. What's he trying to do? He's trying to suck the hope out of you so you'll stop moving forward and you'll get comfortable in the valley. Do you know how people die of hypothermia? They stop and get comfortable in the cold. You've heard the, 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 the statement, comfortably numb? How many know you can get to a place where hope, have you ever been around someone or been there yourself where you were in such a state of hopelessness that hope itself was painful? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? You ever come into someone and they're in a dark room and they've been there for a long time? Then you open the door and the light shines in. How I many you know initially that light hurts their eyes? And, the, and, and, and this hopelessness has a place of false comfort and that I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to dream. I'm not going to envision the future. I'm just going to lay down and die comfortably. You might not be dying physically, but how many of the enemies trying to kill your dreams? He's trying to kill your vision. He's trying to suck the life out of you to where your want to is gone. I'm speaking to some people right now by the Spirit of God. And God says, and you know what causes hope to arise? Love. I mean, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. Why, why, why does love give hope? Because love says, I love you. And I know the plans that I have for you. And I didn't create you to live in a valley. I didn't create you to, to build a camp in the valley. This is not your zip code. This is not your mailbox. This is not, I've called you to walk through the valley. So let my love shine into you afresh and anew. How many of the, the memory of pizza does not feed you? I can think about pizza all day long, and it does nothing for me. How many know that the memory of the love of God does not fill your heart with hope? You can answer it on the test. You know what, you know what the right answer is. Does God love me, true or false? But ladies and gentlemen, a head knowledge of the love of God is not the experience of the love of God. And God wants to send a fresh, I love you, into your heart to break the ice off of your heart and to, and to melt that off of your emotions to cause hope to flourish and flower and rise up big and strong on the inside of you again because what God wants to tell you is is that this is not your resting place this is not the end for you your life does not end like this I how many know that there are times when a chapter finishes in your life and there's a new season 
And in the, in, the, oh, in the time of transition is when you're most vulnerable. You know, how many know that uh, Elijah was a mighty man of God and did mighty things? And he had a moment where he did all these exploits. You know, we, we took out, you know, he took out um, all those prophets, like 400 prophets, and, and, you know, called down fire and signs and wonders and miracles and had this mighty move of God. How many know that, that you can have a mountaintop experience with God and then Monday morning be in the valley? Because our emotions are so fickle. And that's why we can't live by our emotions. But he had, this, he had these powerful things happen in his life and in his ministry. And then all of a sudden he finds himself under a juniper tree, afraid, having a pity party. How I many of oh, God will never call you into a pity party? If you're in a pity party, you're looking at the wrong person. Wait till my Jeremiah. A pity party is when your primary focus is you. If you are your primary focus, then you are going to be miserable. I mean, as, as, a, as a human, as a creation of God, you're not called to focus on you. You're just not. You're going to be miserable if you focus on you. How I many you know I could not minister to you effectively if I was just thinking about me right now? I'd either be self-conscious. Oh, does my hair look okay? Oh, is my shirt all right? I'm not thinking about me at all. And because I'm not thinking about me at all, I have the ability to minister to you with confidence because I'm not conscious of me. I'm conscious of God and I'm conscious of you. So I didn't come here to talk about me. I came here to love God's people with his love, which sets me free from me. I don't have to think about me at all. It's fantastic. <laughs> Amen? You know what I'm saying? I mean, even like with, with the dog that I was talking about. How many you know when you love something other than yourself, it sets you free from yourself? How many of children do that? How many times has a woman had a child and that child has, has delivered her from self consciousness and self-awareness you follow me and so that pity party is not from the Lord and Elijah was under that tree and he was oh me oh me I did this and I did that and they did this and they did that and they did and they did and you know here I am I'm the only one that's serving you in spirit and in truth how many of we've all been there we've all been there right but but right after a mountain talk experience, he has his place of total despondency. The man is ready to die. He, he, he is literally talking about, just kill me, God. And what happens in the valley, the enemy is trying to wound your heart to such a degree that you lose the will and desire to live. And, and the only thing that he could see in that, at that time in his life was himself and his past. How many of God had a fresh assignment? He was about to anoint Elisha. He was about to have an encounter with God unlike anything he'd ever known before. But in the time of transition between the new assignment and the old assignment, there was a free fall of self-pity and the Lord had to get him out of that place how did he do that he caused hope to arise in his heart gave him fresh vision so to rise so he left the juniper tree he left the pity party 
and he went into the place of relationship in the cave. Come on. There was, a, there was an earthquake. There was, there was fire. There was wind. There's all that stuff. How many know sometimes you're not called to look at what's going on out here? How many know the place of relationship is right here? That still, small voice came and brought him back to the most important thing in his life, which was relationship with God. And God spoke to him, gave him a fresh assignment, and he left the juniper tree. He left the pity party, left the valley, and hope arose in his heart again. And he put his shoulders back, and he put one foot in front of the other, and continued on, and went on, and did mighty, mighty things. But that point of transition, the enemy was trying to hit him and his emotions so hard that he was trying to destroy the next phase of ministry. Because the enemy doesn't play fair. I mean, he tries to hit you when you're down. And he tries to stab you when you're not looking. But it was an attack. And what you have to understand is, look, man, Elijah was a mighty man of God. You know, big time. So I say that to say this. You may, you may have moments in your life when your emotions are so loud and your feelings are so loud that you just get confused about your purpose and your calling. And, 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 and I say that not to glorify that moment, but to say that it can happen to any of us. And let me, let me say this too. And it's okay. It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because God ain't going to leave you there. He ain't going to leave you there. He's going to come. He's going to love on you. and He's going to set you free. And He's going to call you. And He's going to restore hope into your wounded heart. And the want to is going to come back to you again. You don't save yourself. Elijah didn't save himself. There is no element of your Christianity that you are the author of your salvation. We are sheep. We get rescued. <laughs> over and over again. And it's okay. You are not designed to have strength apart from Him. You are designed with an inherent weakness. Some people are quoting the scripture tonight. Uh, your strength, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. God's not attracted to your strength. God's attracted to your weakness. He thinks your weakness is beautiful. It's interesting, isn't it? So contrary to common Christianity. Common Christianity is, I can do all things! What's the rest of that verse? Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yeah. Like, Yes, we're more than overcomers. Yes, we're more than conquerors. All those wonderful things. But like, you are dependent on Him. And you're going to experience His salvation over and over and over again. Now, you get born again one time. I'm not saying you get born again over and You get born again one time. But like, salvation means rescue. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means rescue. God's going to rescue you. So, if you're under the juniper tree tonight, having yourself a pity party, complaining about what everybody else is doing, it's okay. 
But he's saying to you, that season's over. And it's time to rise up. And it's time to walk out of this valley. This valley is not your home. Amen. And, and he's going to lead you out because he loves you. You know? And you have to understand, he saw this moment before you ever received him. See, sometimes I think that we, we think salvation's like a one-time thing. You know? No, no, no. The Lord's going to, he's with you to deliver you. And the greatest of all deliverances is deliverance from yourself. It really is. That's what love does. Love delivers you from yourself. Love to you first, but then love through you. Because when I am receiving the love that God has for me, and then I'm letting that love flow through me, I am free from myself. I don't have to think about myself. I don't have to worry about myself. I just, have to, I just get to serve others in love. Those are my happiest moments. Is when love is flowing through me. Can I get an amen? It's what we're called to do, right? Now, you've got to receive it first. That's extremely important. You must receive it first. But he wants it to flow through you so you can be free from yourself. So, so there are these moments and these battles, and there's a war that's going on. And, you know, it'd be fantastic if the enemy just played fair. You know, good guys, bad guys. Let's, let's fight, Right? Um, it's not like that because your greatest battles are not going to be with unbelievers. Jesus wasn't crucified by the prostitutes. Jesus wasn't crucified by the tax collectors. He wasn't crucified by the angry, cussing fishermen. He was celebrated by the sinners. The crucifixion of Jesus did not come from the Roman army. It came from religious people. Now, what is religion? In a nutshell, it's people operating carnally or according to the flesh. In a nutshell, how I many religion is not man-made? Religion is not spirit-led. It's all about man's strength and man's ability, right? And so, if we just clearly had the good guys and bad guys lines drawn, it would make our life so much easier. But it's not like that. How I many it wasn't like that for Jesus? How I many Jesus wasn't betrayed by a sinner in the sense that? They were, you know, was a you know, prostitute, tax collector, whatever. How I many of you know, Jesus was betrayed by someone that was very close to him? Someone that dipped bread with him. Someone that fellowship with him. See, if, some, if, someone, if I'm out on the street doing evangelism, which I love to do, and some drug addict comes up to me and cusses me out, like, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? I used to be the drug addict that cussed out the Christians. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that doesn't bother me, right? But if, if the enemy can get someone close to me in the flesh that I care about, 
that I esteem, that I've spent time with, and use their mouth to attack me, then that barb or arrow can go deep into my heart. I mean, that betrayal is painful. I mean, slander is painful. And the enemy knows that. And so the enemy's not looking, up, looking to raise up unbelievers to attack you. He's looking to raise up believers to attack you. Because he knows if he can get a hold of the mouth of one of your brothers or sisters in the Lord, then their attack or their defamation against your character or their slander against you or their betrayal is painful. Because it can come in the name of God. See, I, I've been, you know, I, I've spent my time in bars and clubs and all that crazy stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, I don't really remember anything that anyone running their mouth said against me. But you know what? I've been hurt more in church and in ministry than I was ever heard in the club. Yeah, you know, we all wake up the next day and we're friends again, you know. But how I many you know in church and in ministry, you can take a hit that'll try to knock you off course for months, years, a lifetime. Because someone in the name of God defiled your name in the name of God. And, and I want you to know that the enemy is the author of that. How I many know that you don't have a flesh and blood enemy in the earth? You don't. There is not one person on this planet that's your enemy. Believer, unbeliever, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, black, white, green, yellow, blue. You don't have one person that's your enemy. Not a political, there's not a political figure that's your enemy. Oh, I need some amens on all that. What kingdom are you part of, huh? How many of you, how many of every, 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 see, I used to be your enemy as an atheist. I used to be anti-Christ, and I was a jerk. And, but how many of you know that, like, I'm now one of you guys? Because God has a way of taking people that are his enemies and making them his friends. How many of you know the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? at one time was public enemy to the church. So God's not scared of enemies. He just turns them into his children. How I many he's been doing it for a couple thousand years, right? So like you don't have a person that's your enemy. So, but the enemy will raise up somebody near you, someone who's operating in the flesh, somebody who's operating, operating carnally, and what he's after is your heart because everything happens in the heart everything now your spirit can't be wounded your spirit's been sealed by the Holy Spirit you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus I mean the enemy may come but he has nothing in your spirit if you're born again I mean it's a reality I, if you don't understand I encourage you to study it out devil is not stronger than God amen and uh, he that's within you is greater than he that's in the world but, but your heart, which I believe is the place where your spirit and your soul meet. 
your soul is your mind, your will and emotions, your thought, your thinker, your feeler, your chooser. But then your heart, how many know God, Jesus talks a lot about the heart. Scripture talks a lot about the heart. How many know your heart can be sick? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? How many of your heart can be offended, can be wounded? And if your heart is, is wounded, how many know it's going to affect everything you see and everything you hear? Because at, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of it are the streams of life. The way you perceive the world around you is reflective of the health of your heart. We're talking about Jeremiah. Well, you ever tried? How many? There's a lot of offense going around these days. I, I've, I've seen more. I've, I've seen more offense in these past couple years than I've ever seen in my entire life. And offense is one of the most demonic things in the world for a lot of different reasons. But the Bible says that a brother offended is harder to be one that, than someone's like behind, behind bars. What does that mean? You ever try to talk to somebody that's offended? I mean, it don't matter what you say, they're going to twist it. I mean, you can walk in and bow down to them and give them your neck and be like, take, you know, I give you everything, and they'll, they'll find an offense with it. They'll be like, well, why'd you say it like that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, for real, because, listen, someone who's offended, they, they can't see clearly. They're behind bars. They're in prison. And so they don't perceive reality properly. And here's the thing about offense, because it's, it's a nasty thing. You have lost the right to be offended. And I'm going to say some strong things here, but it's going to help you. When you are offended against your brother or sister in the Lord, you are discrediting the cross. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but I was forgiven of a billion-dollar debt of sin. Like, tons of sin, right? Forgiven. How many know I'm forgiven tonight? Can I get an amen? If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're forgiven. Past, present, and future, you live in an eternal state of forgiveness. If you don't understand that, study that out. It'll set you free like nothing you've ever seen before in your whole life. The cross was a success. He did a great job. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is your zip code. That's where you live. You are right with God. You are forgiven. Amen. Can't be taken from you. Salvation is not a band-aid that falls off after seven days and you got to go back to church to, you know, to get saved again. No, it's an eternal work. Amen. You, you have received an eternal forgiveness. And so I've, I've had a billion-dollar sin debt canceled in my life. So if I come up to Steve... And, and he does something to, to me. Like I, when, I, when I came to the hotel today, I was late. Because <laughs> I, I went through the fire and I went through the rain and I drove from Kentucky. Hallelujah. And I was late. Then I walked in and my brother didn't receive me with open arms. He was like, bro, you're late, man. You know it's 430, right? I was like, yeah, I do know it's 430. I was like drenched in water and wet. My hair was all crazy and I had bags all over the place. And I was like... You know what I'm saying? And he was, he was just like, just dissing me, man. But, but having fun. It's, it's all fun. We just did a conference in Myrtle Beach. It's all good. We're friends. But like, I love you too. I know you love me. But it's a great example. 
But like if I got mad at him and offended at him, because when I when I wanted to be encouraged, I was made fun of. <laughs> it's all good, dude. <laughs> You're the righteousness of God. But just giving a just giving an example here. Let's say let's let's take it out of that example. Let's say he did. Let's yeah. Let's let's get away from that. Let's say he did something. Let, no, I'm done. I'm done. Because I'm nice. <laughs> but let's say that he did something to hurt me. Not that, something else. Now, if I hold ought against him, after Jesus has forgiven me a billion dollar debt, and then I'm going to hold this five bucks worth of offense, and demand that justice be done to me, that I be paid because of his transgression. I mean, you know, Jesus gave an analogy in the kingdom when, when he talked about the guy that was forgiven of like a you know, $100,000 debt, and he went and demanded someone pay him and threw the guy in jail. Y'all remember that? When we try to hold ought and hold someone's sin, We start messing with the grace that flows from the cross. How many know that freely you have received and freely you give? See, the reason I can forgive is I've been forgiven of much. But if I try to hold his transgression in my mind and paint a picture of him and know him according to the flesh, even though he's a Christian, a Christian, a believer, a son of God, a child of God, and I start to hold ought against him in my heart, it will damage the flow of the kingdom in my life. Now, I'm still forgiven. I'm still going to heaven. I'm still right with God. But how many know that it can change the way I see the world around me? I have two. It's happened to me before. It could happen to any of us. The enemy's always trying to get you offended at somebody. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Because if he can get offense in your heart, it'll mess you up. And then how many know once you've been offended once, how many know that, he, that the enemy wants to fill up that cup with more offense? And then more offense, and then more offense, and then more offense, and then more offense, and then more offense. And next thing you know, the easy light yoke of Jesus isn't a light yoke anymore, and your heart is heavy. Because everybody's hurt you. And everyone's come against you. And your heart starts collecting offense. And it brings us over into the carnal realm. And it causes our faith not to function like it's supposed to. And it clouds our eyes, and it causes us to see incorrectly. And, and, see, and the thing about offense is, no one can make you not be offended. You have to let it go. How do you handle offense? Well, we've got to look at Jesus. How many know that Jesus, there was not more injustice that has ever been done to anyone than Jesus. 
Jesus did not deserve to be beaten. Jesus did not deserve to be whipped. Jesus did not deserve to take mine and your sin upon him on the cross. Jesus was innocent. He was the Lamb of God. He was treated unjustly. So when someone does something against you and hurts you and wounds you and speaks against you, number one, don't look at them. Look at the enemy that's trying to work through them. Because the enemy is trying to take a shot at you through someone else's stupidity. And they may be being stupid. They may do something dumb. They may be in the flesh. But don't let the devil punch you in the chest and, 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 and raise within you a sense of defiled justice and a need to justify and vindicate yourself. Because that is a battle you will lose. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we are to vindicate ourselves. You are not your vindicator. You are not your defender. How many of God will vindicate you? See, you're not called to vindicate yourself. You're called to walk in love. When you walk in love, you are allowing God to be God. And you're allowing God to be your vindicator. And you're allowing God to be on the throne. It's true. It's true. Amen? And, and see, because the love walk, and A, love's got to come to you first, but love, love's to go through you. You know what the love walk does? It protects you. It protects your heart. What God showed to me, it's like, a, it's like this, I receive love from God, and then I love other people, and then that love becomes a bubble that protects me from hurt and offense and pain so that I protect my heart by forgiving other people. I protect my heart by loving other people. When people hurt me and despitefully use me and speak bad things about me, what am I called to do? Am I called to attack them back? No, I'm called to pray for them. Come on, guys. I'm called to bless them. What are you doing, Jeremiah? I'm heaping hot coals upon the enemy's head as I'm good to them as they try to hurt me. And I'm protecting and to set them free. See, that you understand, you're not trying to hurt them. You, you need them to be free. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you mad at them and them mad at you to where you fight. And the only person rejoicing when the brothers and sisters in the Lord are in disunity and fighting each other is the enemy. See, you don't fight with the same weapons that were used to attack you. You take the high ground. You take the high road. When they speak bad about you, you speak good about them. When they despitefully use you, when they curse you, you pray for them. Come on, this is spiritual warfare. This is real spiritual warfare. Not all the, all the and, and you know, praise God for binding and loosening and all that, and there's a place for that. And I mean, it's, it's, it's scriptural, but like, this is the real battle. The real, you know what wins? Love. And when you can release love and forgiveness because you have received love and forgiveness, you cut off the enemy's ability to molest you and torment you in your mind. 
Because the enemy's not the individual, the enemy's the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that you should go hang out with the people who hurt you and despitefully use you. I need to balance this real quick. You know, I got all kinds of people that hurt me. We ain't hanging out. I forgive you. I love you from afar. I love you. I don't trust you. How many of y'all love is unconditional? How many of y'all trust is not? There's no place in Scripture where it says to trust unconditionally. Take a walk through Proverbs. Proverbs would be like, don't hang out with that person. Don't spend time around that person. Come on now. Now, you love them and you can minister to them, but how many of you are not called to fellowship with everybody? You're not called to be in, in relationship with everybody. You are not. Now, you're called to minister to everybody, but you've got to draw some healthy boundaries in your life. It's the truth, man. And you're not being rude or mean by, by drawing those healthy boundaries in your life. You're actually being wise. Over and over again in Proverbs, it says, don't keep company of this person. Don't keep company of that person. Don't keep company of that person. Don't mean you don't minister to them. But you don't need to sit down and fellowship. Y'all tracking me here? Jesus didn't go hang out with Judas after it was over. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm just being honest. Right? And so, I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm not saying open yourself up for abuse. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you've got to guard your heart with love. Because if you don't, then that person that hurts you, they're hurting you every day in your mind as you think about them. They're hurting you over and over and over again, thinking about it, daydreaming about it, what they said, what did they mean, they, 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 they. Next thing you know, your mind is filled with them and not God. And if your mind is filled with them and not God, it will drain you. And so, like, you've got to forgive them and love them and pray for them and speak well of them to release yourself from the destruction. And then also, through that love walk, you let God be God. Saul hated David. Saul and David, both children of God. Both called of God. Both anointed by God. Both kings. Saul was in the flesh. How many know just because you're a Christian don't mean you're always in the spirit? Right? <laughs> Amen. We need, we need that as a bumper sticker. Yo, I'm saved, but sometimes I'm in the flesh. So when you drive by and cut me off, I'm going to tell you you're number one. Just kidding, just kidding. But like, we're all like, you know, we're born again, we're children of God, we're in the spirit, but every once in a while we act dumb. Can I get an old me? I don't need an amen, just an old me. How many of you got this treasure in an earthen vessel? And there are times when you are cool and in the spirit, and there are times when you're doing dumb stuff. And you need to be saved, you know what I'm saying? Not like born again, but you need Jesus to rescue you. How many know that's true of all of us? No one floats through life just so spiritual. No, no. You have days when you're like, man, somebody give me some coffee for I kill somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it's okay. It, you know, it's an earthen vessel, right? 
But I say all that to say this. Sometimes people around you act stupid. Sometimes that person is you. And here's the thing about the flesh is when someone else is operating in the flesh and operating carnally, it will try to drag you down into the flesh as well. And if you try to justify yourself and vindicate yourself, you're going to be in the flesh just like they are. How many know the enemy tried really hard through the people that were around David, through other people that were playing on God's team, to try to get David to kill Saul? David was in a cave hiding because Saul was slandering him and attacking him and speaking bad about him to everybody. David never did anything wrong. So you can tell who's in the spirit and who's in the flesh by who's persecuting who. People in the spirit don't persecute. It's the truth, man. You can tell who's in the spirit and who's in the flesh by who's persecuting who. You don't need to persecute anybody because you don't need to vindicate yourself and you don't need to justify yourself. How many of God is a better vindicator than you? How many of God vindicated David? How? Blessing. Blessing, blessing, blessing. So the moment came where David's hiding in a cave. Here comes Saul and the people around David. This is your moment. Kill him. Now, here's the thing. We may not kill other Christians physically. Amen. But how many of you can kill somebody's character with your words? Because they killed your character with their words. And so, in that cave, there was Saul, there was David, there was the devil, and there was God. And the devil wants David to kill Saul. Why? If David kills Saul, he becomes Saul. See, slander should never be a weapon in your basket. How many of Saul slandered David regularly? David never slandered Saul. Although he could have. How many of if David would have just told the truth about what was happening. I mean, Saul was a punk, and he was in the flesh. But David took the high road. Now, here's the thing. How I many you know we have these th things in Scripture to teach us how to do it right, correct? But how I many know in your life, you can be a Saul, and you can be a David. You can be a Saul, you can be a David. Like, you can do the right thing, you can do the wrong thing. So if I'm teaching this this morning and you've done the wrong thing, be at peace because because of Jesus, you can just make a turn and do the right thing. And so David didn't kill Saul. In fact, David said that Saul was the Lord's anointed. David honored Saul's position. Even though Saul spent all of his time and energy trying to kill David's ministry. Why did he do that? Because it's not David's job to kill Saul, and it's not your job to vindicate yourself. God will vindicate you without your hands and your mouth getting dirty with slander because you're not a Saul. 
you're not a javelin thrower. How many of Saul was always throwing javelins at David trying to kill him? Amen. How many of that's not who you are? How many of you have, you have a higher calling? You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to vindicate yourself. But here's the thing. You have to understand something about David, and I, I, I think about this often because it's amazing. It's hell to go through a Saul. I've been through some Sauls in my life. Been through some, you know, I had a, you know, pastors or leaders who just came against me and attacked me. How I many of you some people hate you because they ain't you? Anybody got that in the message translation? <laughs> hate you because they ain't you? Y'all are Yankees. Y'all might not even know what I'm saying, man, but... Haters going to hate. But like some people attack you because they're jealous of you. Of what you have and the circle of influence that you run in. All of these things. And it's painful. And it hurts. And it's awful. And it's unfair. But how you handle it will determine whether you're going to ascend into the position of a higher realm of influence or stay on the low level hanging out in caves with people that want you to kill somebody that God says shouldn't be killed how many old David left the cave he left that cave and he left the cave of Adullam and David walked his butt straight up into the palace and sat down as a king because David wasn't made of the same ilk that Saul was David never killed Saul you have to understand something about a Saul somebody who's in the flesh carnally they either get delivered and become a Paul Saul, Paul, right? Or the Saul kills himself. I mean, that's what Saul did. He killed himself. Because if you're constantly negative and attacking and lashing out, it's going to take a toll on you. And if you don't get delivered, you're going to destroy your own influence. But let not your hand be against them. Because that's between them and God. Y'all tracking me here? Amen. But David was so hurt and so wounded. There came a time in David's life where he, he gave up on his dreams. He gave up on the crown. And he joined the Philistines. It's an amazing time. David was so bitter and so hurt and so wounded that God had promised him so much, but someone in the name of God had tried to destroy him. And his heart was filled with bitterness. And you know what he said? He said, forget this crap. And he went and he got in line with the Philistines to fight against the people he was called to serve. It's the most amazing thing in Scripture. He joins the Philistines. He's ready to become the enemy of the Lord's people. Because his heart is so wounded and his heart is so hurt. And God intervenes through the Philistines. Because he couldn't get through to David because his heart was so offended. God had to use an unbelieving Philistine to get David back on the right path because David was so pissed off. I know those are strong words, but I felt like I needed to say it. And David was ready to fight. And the Philistines was like, whoa, Dave, what are you doing, man? They're like, man, I'm, I'm ready. Forget these people. And then, you know, the, 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 the Philistines are like, no, nah, man, you can't fight with us. you got to go home. And God intervened in that moment. But what I want to show you, and so, like, 
I prayed for him. And you know what's awesome? My heart's not wounded at all. Not even a tiny bit. Like I'm not even like God love him. My heart goes out to him and the people. So I say all that to say forgive, love, release, let go for yourself, right? And then don't try to vindicate yourself because the Lord will vindicate you. What's the greatest vindication? Was the greatest vindication for David that he could sink his sword into Saul's chest or that he would sit on the throne with the crown on his head, fulfilling the call of God on his life? Amen? You're called to the crown. You're called to influence. You're called to promotion. Amen? And, and, and if... The enemy has wounded your heart. It's time to let it go tonight. Let's, uh, can we have some worship, pretty please? And I just want to pray for you. I know it took a little bit long, but how many think it's worth it? You know what I'm saying? Like, God's doing something, and, uh, and it's worth it. It's worth it. And so I just, want to, I just want to pray for you. And we're going to release this tonight by the Spirit of grace. And you're going to kick that person out of your head. You're going to kick that person out of your heart. And the way you do it, you know, when I, when I think about, you know, the people that have hurt me, whether it was my natural father or that pastor or whoever, it's not time for me to reenact the juniper tree and sit in my pity party and think about, what's been done to me and what's been said about me. How I many you know, it's time for me to pray and to bless. You know, when the disciples got mad at a certain town because they wouldn't make room for, for them, when they came to the town, they were like, Lord, do you want us to call fire down? And he was like, you don't know what spirit you are of. I mean, God's not called you to call fire down on any individual. And listen, that person will change and get delivered. Or, or like Saul, they'll fall on their own sword. And I don't mean that in a literal sense. I mean that in, how many know that Scripture talks about how words can be like a sword of healing or destruction? You don't want to pick up slander and speak it out of your mouth. You don't want to do that. It's not your calling. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for your voice here tonight, speaking prophetically in the hearts of your children. There are those in this house that have been wounded by souls, by those that were operating carnally. And Lord, I just thank you that by your Spirit, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to pray for that person right now. Or persons. Pray for them. Release them. Speak blessing over them. You are not those that curse. You are those that bless. So let's...
this is an important moment because this is the, the whole message has brought us to this place. And I just encourage you, just take a moment and pray for them. Because you, you can't afford to allow your heart to carry such a heavy load. Because it's time for you to rise up and get out of the valley. And we can't have anything holding your heart down. I'm not saying you invite them over for dinner. I'm not saying that you add them back on Facebook. I'm not saying that you open yourself up to be hurt again. I'm not saying that. Now, if God leads you to reconcile, then reconcile, but only if God leads you. But I am saying to release that person. Release the debt of their transgression against you. then also I believe I'm speaking to the another group of people that that attack is coming and I'm not like trying to prophesy that over you or anything like that but there's a lot of offense that the enemy's raising up around the body of Christ right now and so this is to give you wisdom on how to handle the slander, how to handle the slander when it comes don't slander back speak well of that person speak life over that person bless that person pray for that person might be might even be a whole church full of people but in doing so you're going to protect your own heart and you're going to release yourself from any type of offense any type of sin debt we don't have the right to hold ought against anyone we've released that right through the cross Freely you've been freely you've been forgiven and freely you must forgive. Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you for that wisdom. Thank you for this ability to war against the enemy with love. We release. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We are peacemakers. We rise above Him. We are the children of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Can we have a song, like a vocal, pretty please? I just feel like a, a moment of worship would be real appropriate. And you can have, do you need this, we need this mic back. No, you have a mic, don't you? Yeah, just a, just a moment of worship. How many of you there's something cleansing about worship? 
because it gets your attention off of you. And on to the Lord. Let's, let's worship the Lord here for a moment together. Thank you, Jesus. I kept feeling compelled to sing, but I know better. <laughs> we all have different gifts. <laughs> I couldn't lead angels in worship. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord. 